I give God a hand clap of praise tonight. We love you, Jesus. Amen. What a privilege it is to worship the Lord. You know, there's so many people who are unfamiliar with the presence of God. It's really something we should never take for granted that we can feel his presence and connect with him and commune with him. What an honor tonight. I don't know. I know there's a lot of places we could be on a Wednesday night, but it's like that song, No Place I'd Rather Be Than in God's House with My Brothers and Sisters Just Praising the Lord. And now we've all, now we're going to get into the Word. So get uh, your Bibles out tonight. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 15 verses. It's, that's the whole chapter. We're going to cover, we're going to cover that whole chapter tonight, God willing. I have notes for it. So let's just thank God and we'll jump in and I'll read the, I'll read the text and we'll, we'll unpack it together. Father, I thank you tonight, Lord, for this opportunity in the middle of the week to come together and just to enjoy fellowship, enjoy worship, enjoy the word. What a privilege it is part to be, for us to be part of the family of God. And I pray that uh, you would make the word come alive to us tonight as we prepared our hearts with worship. And I pray that you've tilled up good ground in us to receive the word. And that, Father, what we hear tonight that's of the spirit would go in us and never come out but that we'd have it uh, as a ready cistern within us to bring up any time we needed the truth of your word. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So chapter 9, 2 Corinthians starts off with a really big word here. For it is superfluous. Wow. I think I need to sit down after that one. For it is superfluous for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints, for I know your willingness of which I boast about you to the Macedonians, <coughs> namely that Achaia has been prepared since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I have sent the brothers in order that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this case, so that as I was saying, you will be prepared. Otherwise, if any in Macedonia come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, would be put to shame by this confidence. So I consider it necessary to urge you, brothers, that they go on ahead to arrange in advance the previously promised generous gift, that the same would be ready as a generous gift and not as one grudgingly given due to greediness. Excuse me, it's time for a drink. Mm. Thanks. Verse six, now I say this, the one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the one who sows generously will also reap generously. Each one must do just as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace overflow to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever." Now he who supplied seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the minister of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but also 
overflowing through many thanksgiving to God. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. While they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So this is the last part of Paul just talking about the, the offering that was given here. He's wrapping it up and uh, he's encouraging them. He's given his thoughts and his, his instruction and his encouragement to the Corinthians for their financial support, going over some logistics here and how to get it to, uh, you know, they didn't have, uh, you know, you couldn't wire it there. You couldn't use Venmo or PayPal they had, to, they had to walk it over there. So they're sending out emissaries. They're sending out this gift for the church in Jerusalem because they're hurting, and these churches have supported them. The verse one starts off with that big word, superfluous. And so it means redundant and necessary, redundant, unnecessary information. Do you ever know someone that would say stuff that you didn't need to hear over, over, and over, and over, and over? redundant, and you know it. It's kind of like, you ever hear that phrase, preaching to the choir? When you're telling somebody who knows something you know they know, and it's really, you know, not necessary, and they know the information, and it's redundant, but th- th- it has to be said anyway, and that's what Paul is saying. He, he knows these guys know because they put into practice some of these principles, but he's saying some things here because it has to be said. Now, some of what's said in Scripture was for the people that it was being spoken to right at that moment. You understand that? But just because it was spoken to them right at that moment, that doesn't mean, well, that's not for us. Otherwise, God just gave us a nice book to read that has no implications in our own life. So, you know, what's being said there is spoken to them, but it needed to be said even though they knew it because we needed to hear it thousands of years later. I think in the Old Testament in prophets like Ezekiel, specifically Ezekiel 38, the prophet Ezekiel lays out a prophecy that was going to happen thousands and thousands of years later that he would be long dead and gone and he'd never see it come to pass. And you think, well, you know, the people of Ezekiel's day didn't understand Ezekiel 38, which talks about Gog and Magog, which we know are China and Russia and Israel in the last days. This whole chapter is here, uh, you know, to instruct the, the church and the Jews in the last days. But Ezekiel gave it. So he spoke it then, but it was for us now. Do you see the multidimensional nature of God's word? Prophecy is multidimensional. It has, when the prophet spoke, it had a current meaning, it had a future meaning, and sometimes it had past implications. So understand, God's word is, you know, multidimensional. It has different meanings, and we need wisdom in the Holy Spirit to understand what's being spoken to whom and if it applies to us or not. Someone say amen. Verse two through four, Paul acknowledges the Corinthians' willingness and zeal to give, and he notes that it's been an example and a motivation to other churches. Check this out. For I know your willingness, of which I boast about you to the Macedonians, namely that Achaia has been prepared since last year. Listen, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. Uh, Check this out. They're giving, they're responding in a really beautiful way, and what is it doing? The other churches are seeing what the Corinthians are doing, and it motivates them. I want you to pick up on this because 
Understand, as Christians, we're part of the body of Christ. So what we do personally will have a ripple effect throughout the whole body. And not only that, what we do as Christians will have impact in the world around us. Because guess what? Whether we like it or not, the world is watching. They're watching you. They're looking at you. They're, they want to see how you respond. They want to listen to the words that come out of your mouth. So here's the church and Corinthians. They're doing something really good here. And it, it serves as a motivator to the other churches. It's good for us to understand that when we as a church partner with the Holy Spirit and do godly things and produce excellence in obedience to what God is doing, that, you know, it's going to inspire others to follow suit. You're not feeling that tonight? It was real quiet, that kind of like, you know, like what you and I do affects others. What Full Gospel Center does affects other churches. What other churches do affects Full Gospel Center. We can inspire one another. We can motivate one another to, to pursue excellence in the body of Christ. You know, you, you don't, a lot of you are new and haven't been here uh, for that long. Some of you have been. I've been here since I'm 14 years old. I've seen a lot of history when it comes to this church. And, you know, I got to tell you, all the things that we do, they didn't just, like, happen spontaneously. No, we were inspired by others. Our drama production, our children's ministry, our youth ministry, all of those programs have been inspired by other churches. We used to go to other churches. We used to go to churches in Long Island. We'd go down to the upper room and stuff and see them put on a Broadway caliber Christmas play. And then we'd come home and go, how do we do this in Hillbillyville here? With half the budget and no, no professional actors. And what did that do, though? It inspired us to reach for what was possible. Yeah. Come on tonight. You and I, when we get involved in things in the church, when we do ministry, when we, when, when we, we do excellence, when we preach the gospel and souls get saved and we water baptize them, we water baptize 36 people. There's, there's another third. Is there 30 now? 33 people signed up. This weekend, we're going to baptize after second service another 33 people. Do you know that other pastors have been talking to me about that, and it's inspiring them to preach the gospel, to give altar calls, to baptize people? Amen. So I want you to get a hold of that. It's like sometimes the enemy wants to make it feel like what we do has no significance, it has no impact, but nothing can be further from the truth. When we respond to the Holy Spirit and do the work of God like the Corinthians did, it will inspire the body of Christ and it will even touch the lost world around us. Verse three through five serve as an encouragement uh, for the Corinthians to keep their eye on the proverbial ball. Let me read verses three through five here. It says, but I have sent the brothers in order that our boasting about you may not prove empty. So Paul's saying, we've been bragging about you that you've been doing the right thing, continue to do it. It says... Uh, you will be prepared. Otherwise, if the Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, not to mention uh, you would be put to shame in your confidence. So he, he's telling them, follow through on what you did. Keep your eye on the ball. Um, you know, remember, it's not our willingness to start programs. It's not our willingness to initially be obedient to what God's called us to do. It's our faithfulness to finish. We need a lot more finishers than starters. Now, God will use some people to start and other people to finish. Anybody know Moses started something that Joshua finished? And Caleb. Let's give Caleb some credit, too. He was pretty awesome. So, you know, uh, 
the starting and the finishing, but we need finishers in the body of Christ because it's, a, it's the finishing that shows that it wasn't just bluster, it wasn't just talk, it wasn't just emotionalism. How many know you can get stirred up emotionally to do something for God? That, you know, I've been around a long time and I've seen all kinds of, you know, things in the body of Christ where people and ministries use emotions to get people lathered up to do something that may or may or not be, you know, God's will. <laughs> Understand emotions will not bring you across the finish line. Neither will hype. We don't need hype in the church. Thank you. One amen. Let me try it over here. We don't need hype in the church. We don't need to get our emotions stirred up. We need the Holy Spirit to speak to us, and we need to mix our faith with what he says, and out of obedience, do what he calls us to do. So, you know, here they are. He's encouraging them. Keep your eye on the ball. Finish the course. Your willingness to start is a good thing, but, you know, you got to be... You gotta be on top of it and, and do what you said you were going to do. So I consider it necessary to urge the brothers. So he's sending the emissaries to come pick up the gift, make sure it's ready when they get there. So, you, you know, it doesn't look like you guys got surprised by this. God wants us all to know something. All of us have callings on our life. We have gifts in our life. We have opportunities in our lives. We have, you know, things that are on our plate that we've set our hand to do. All of us have to keep our eye on the ball. The enemy wants to distract you. He wants to confuse you. He wants to sidetrack you. So if he does, we don't have the time and the energy to do our thing and God's thing. So keep your eye on the ball. Do what God's asked you to do. Finish what you've started in the kingdom and God's blessings will abound on your life. The next few verses here provide some timeless truths about giving, including our role and the right attitude in giving and how God maximizes what we give. Uh, verse six is a powerful verse. One we should commit to memory. It's a powerful verse that reminds us of a spiritual law and that spiritual law is the law of sowing and reaping. Look at verse six says, now I say this, that the one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the one who sows generously will also reap generously. Is that easy to understand, or is it just me? If you give a lot, you can expect to harvest a lot. If you give a little, you can expect to harvest a little. In an agricultural society, like at Jesus' time, they understood this. You didn't put one or two seeds in the ground and expect the field to fill up. You had to plow the field and till the soil and put the seed in. And, you know, you, could, you, you would get the kind of harvest, you would expect the kind of harvest depending on, excuse me, how much seed you sowed. Now, you know, we're not an agricultural society and a lot of us don't know anything about farming. But the thing is, if you're a farmer and you, you plant fields, you know that you sow seeds in pounds per acre, when you put seed down, you know, you don't just one here, one there. No, it's pounds per acre. There's certain things like clover and rye and stuff. The more you sow, there are some fields where they'll, th they'll sow 100 pounds per acre of clover. 
And if you've ever seen a field like that, it's dense, it's thick, it's lush, it grows quick. You can cut it and bale it. It'll grow again. You can cut it. You can get three, three cuttings. I mean, it's just amazing, but it all depends on the pounds per acre. So uh, understand the principle here. When it comes to giving, we don't want to be cheap. We don't want to be stingy. Why? Because nobody likes to wait for a harvest and it comes in. It's like, that's it? Anybody? You guys are a tough crowd tonight. No, we like a big harvest. We like a, a, a plentiful harvest. We like a lush harvest. Well, then we have to sow accordingly. And, you know, a lot of people in life and even in the church expect a million-dollar harvest on a dime's worth of seed. Come on, anybody? You think, well, God, you know, he multiplied the loaves, and so I'm just going to pray that. Yeah, there's some of that. We're going to talk about that a little bit. But the law of sowing and reaping defines what we should expect. If I sowed abundantly, I should, you know, expect an abundant harvest. And that's the principle here. You know, and there again, it's all up to us. We, we can't be coerced to give. We can't be forced. We've got to do it out of a willing heart. So can I say something to you? If you don't like the harvest you're getting, increase the amount of seed you're sowing. Man, I'm preaching a lot better than you're shouting tonight. <laughs> so God's amazing grace and his mercy also factors in here, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention that. You know, the Bible says that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Some people do so sparingly, and some people are cheap, and some people don't follow through, but God is gracious and blesses them anyhow. You know, a lot of times we think, well, I, I'm just squeaking by here and everything's going good for me. And we think this must be all I have to do. Sometimes we're running on grace. You know, it's total grace. Have you ever been in your car and the, the needle's way below E? Come on, and you're running on fumes and like you, your family's looking at you and you're just thinking, you're like, come on, vapors, you know? That's the way it is in life sometimes. For us as Christians, make sure you sow your seed. Now, this is not just financial. This is in every area. You know, you need help. You need friends. You need solid relationships. You got to sow seeds in those areas. So many people's marriages implode. Why? Because they don't maintenance them. They don't sow seed in them. They, what's the seed that we sow in marriage? We continue to date. We continue to communicate. We continue to have intimacy together. Hello. Oh, the kids moved out. No, you know, I got served with papers. Well, that didn't happen overnight. I'm just going to let that settle in. <laughs> Help us to sow into our relationships, Lord. Help us to sow into our marriages, into the lives of our children. Help us to sow financial discipline and wisdom. Sowing and reaping, it works in every area of our lives. God's amazing grace sometimes allows the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. But if we're wise, we'll sow a lot of seed, a lot of pounds per acre, so we can expect a good harvest. Verse 7, our giving, especially with love offerings like this, has to be done voluntary and from a willing heart. 
I mentioned this over and over again because it's important. It says this in verse seven. Each of you must do as he has decided in his heart. You see, this is a heart thing. It's not emotionalism. It's not a dollars and cents thing. It's not a financial contract. Each of you must do has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Um, and there again, that's another very popular verse that a lot of us have heard in one way or another. And God just wants us to know as New Testament Christians, we're not forced to give. It's not like, well, if you don't give, you can't be saved. No, salvation is a free gift. We don't buy it. We don't buy God's favor. Come on. Well, you know, I put a lot in the offering, so things should start going really good. I know sowing and reaping, but it's like God's grace and his goodness and his love is on us, and it's not because, you know, we put money in a plate. I want you to get this. You know, too many times growing up as a young person, you know, I wasn't hearing messages like this that, oh, you got to give and you got to sow and you got to blah, 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 and then offering and this and that. And if your wallet wasn't empty when you left, the preacher was mad. Thank God that that's that, that we've woke up to that. In fact, some of you are new here, newly saved. You don't even know what I'm talking about. Where's my peeps out there? Shout if you know what I'm talking about. All right. Okay. So let's move on. We, well, ignorance is bliss. So let's just... So we give voluntarily. We give out of our heart, a willing heart, and we give with a cheerful heart, and that's a good thing. There's no room for coercion in the kingdom of God. We, you know, if we give grudgingly, you know, with a bad attitude, can I say something? Just don't give. You know, I've heard people say, well, God loves a cheerful giver, but he'll take from an old grouch anyway. And you know what? No, keep it. God doesn't need your money. Full Gospel Center doesn't need your money. You sit there until God changes your heart, and you can give. Even if you give a dollar, if you come up, if you give something that clangs in the plate, ching, 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 and you're happy about it, that's better. Amen? Because, like, God doesn't want us having a bad attitude or feeling like, you know, he made us or coerced us or fleeced us. It's not what the kingdom of God is about. And I'm glad Paul put that in here because the church needs to hear it. So he loves a cheerful giver, and here's three reasons why he loves a cheerful giver. Because a cheerful giver is someone who's overcome greed in their life. You know the reason some people get mad when, you know, they're asked to give or they get, they don't want to go to church because they think they're going to have to give? They're mad and they're upset because they have issues with money. They're greedy and they don't want to share and they don't feel like they have enough and they don't want to, it's all, you know, they're like Daffy Duck with the, with the pearl. It's mine, it's mine, it's all mine. You know, it gets crazy. People are crazy out there. You know, when you become a Christian and you see what God's done in your life and you, you see what your giving can do in the kingdom of God, it becomes a joy to give. And so if you're not cheerful, then, you know, maybe, you know, if I have to give grudgingly or when it's time to write a big check, it's like, oh, man, do I really have to? Then I have some greed issues in my life. The love of money is the root of all evil. Let me say it again. The love of money is the root of all evil. Now, God didn't say money was evil or money was the root. He said the love of it. You and I have to master this area of, you know, 
finances and money and all of this stuff. And the only way we do it is to conquer greed. And the only way we conquer greed is by giving. So God loves a cheerful giver because it shows that that person has conquered greed. Number two, God loves a cheerful giver because giving mirrors our heavenly father. For God so loved that he took an offering for himself. For God so loved that he raised your taxes. No, it says, for God so loved that he gave. And when we give, we mirror our heavenly father. God in heaven is not a taker. He doesn't want to take anything from you. Did you hear me? Well, you know, I owe God all this money and I owe him time and then I got to use my talents and I'm always in church and they keep scheduling services and I, I got things to do. And God's not a taker. You don't have to. And I'll tell you what tonight. But when we give, we mirror the Father. And if, you know, when we're stingy and we're, we're, when we're, you know, uh, I don't want to and I don't want to share and why, why should I have to? And, you know, that mirrors something else. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave his very best. He didn't give the leftovers. He didn't give just a little tip. No, he gave his best. So God loves a cheerful giver because it's the proof we've conquered greed. God loves a cheerful giver because it mirrors our heavenly father and God loves a cheerful giver because it shows that we're following Christ's example. <clears throat> Hebrews 12.2 says this, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Did you see that? Despising the shame, it said, despising the shame and it is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus looked at the cross and though it was gonna be painful and though it was gonna mean separation from his father and though it was unjust, he, what? he looked at the cross and he, he decided, I wanna give my life for them. Jesus was the ultimate giver, amen? It says, for the joy that was set before him. He, he didn't do it grudgingly. He said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. Yeah. Understand this. Jesus gave himself for us. The life I now live, I live by faith by the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen. Yeah. When we give, we're acting like Jesus. When we're sacrificial, we're acting like Jesus. When we lay our lives down for others, we're acting like Jesus. So that's why God loves a cheerful giver. Because it shows we've overcome greed, we look a lot like our heavenly father, and it, we're following Christ's example. How could Jesus be the head of the body and we be part of the body and we're all stingy and selfish and only care about ourselves? I'm not saying that anybody at Full Gospel Center. I'm just riffing a little bit up here. Okay, verses eight and nine highlight God's ability to bring a consistent flow of abundance into the lives who sow generously. So, you know, doesn't this sound great? Always having all sufficiency in everything. How many like that? Do you like to get to the end of the month and you're writing the bills out and you run out before you, of money before you run out of bills? Come on, nobody likes that. You got to decide, well, is it going to be the electric or the, or the fuel oil this month? You know, some people are hurting so much now. I know you know this, the price of everything has doubled. 
The price of food is doubled. The price of utilities is doubled. Central Hudson, I don't know what they're doing over there. So I have NYSEG. I hear people t- tell me about their electric bills. It's just unbelievable. You know, and so things are, things are tight. Things are tough. And here's God promising an abundance and sufficiency to those who sow generously. This is a good promise here. It says this, and God is able to make all grace overflow to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scatters abroad and he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. So this is a promise here that what? If we sow, uh, you know, we sow liberally and we give and we're faithful, that God is gonna bring sufficiency and abundance to us. Now, abundance is 100% the byproduct of God's grace in our life. You know, think back to the, the, the fish and the loaves when they, fre- when they fed the 3,000 or the 5,000. They had a little bit. You remember that? They only had a few fish and a few loaves. Jesus took what they had. What did that become? That became their seed. And what did he do with their seed? He multiplied it, and he fed thousands of people. Are you getting this tonight? Come on, understand. Well, I don't, I don't have that much. Well, just be faithful to sow what you have. Just be faithful to give what he tells you. Why? Because he doesn't want to take, you know, he doesn't want to take the, the last of what you have and leave you empty. No, he's about to multiply it back to us. Look, everything in my life, I can't afford anything that I have in my life. I, I, I can't, I, the car, the house, everything, it's all grace. Anybody else can relate to that? How God's prospered you, God's blessed you. Amen. Some of you, if you haven't experienced that, you know, you're going to as you continue to sow and you're faithful to the things of God in your life, you're going to see God's multiplication in your life. And it's, a, it's an exciting thing. This is why I don't mind teaching on giving because I know once people get it and they begin to do it, it's going to create a, a, a flow of blessing into their lives that, you know, it's unstoppable. It's a good thing. I don't want your money. God doesn't want your money, but he wants you to be givers so he can bless you abundantly so you never have lack. The blessing of abundance means, you know, yes, God will take care of us financially, but there's so many other blessings that are more than dollars and cents. You know, verse nine is a quote from Psalm uh, 112 here where, you know, in the the text here, if you see... uh, in verse 9 there, will you see the words that are big in italics? In your Bibles, are they, are they big like that? Those are Old Testament quotes. You guys, you guys awake? Anybody following me today? <laughs> he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. That's a quote from the Psalms, and it's in the New Testament. A lot of times, uh, the Old Testament makes it into the New Testament, showing how the two work together. Um, all sufficiency is a good thing, God's blessing. Uh, David said, I'd never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for bread. And no matter what your situation is, be faithful, hang in there. You know, sometimes God doesn't come through in our timetable, but he always comes through, amen. So hang in there. You know, sometimes God makes us wait to see what we'll do. You know, do you, do you, ever, you ever, something didn't go your way and you totally came unglued? And you got really mad and you said things you shouldn't, even about God. Ouch. Sometimes God makes us wait to see if we're going to come unglued, if we're going to maintain our composure. Sometimes I know in my life it didn't go my way because God's like, now what? 
Now what, preacher boy? What are you going to say now? Let's hear what. You, got, you still got faith? You got an attitude? This is the way God talks to me. Oh, we got an attitude now. Did you forget everything I did for you to get you here? Mm. So hang in there and have faith and continue to sow and continue to do the right things and stay away from sin and don't throw the towel in and in due time, you'll reap. And if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. But if you, if you sow abundantly, you'll reap abundance. Verses 10 and 11 serve as another reminder of how God multiplies what we have when we do what's right in his sight with a cheerful, humble heart. God provides for us the proof of his faithfulness by multiplying what we give, and then he demonstrates his grace on us when he pours out blessings that we never deserved. All of us need multiplication in our life. We need God to multiply what we have. Why? Because most of what we have in life is not enough, but it's a seed. And so there's some principles in here, the sowing principle, the seed principle, they're worth understanding. Um, listen to verses 10 and 11 here. Now, he who supplied seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. So there's a, there's a lot in there, you know, something maybe to meditate on a little bit, but... When we give, God takes it, he multiplies it, and then he pours his grace out upon it. And that's how we reap harvests that we never thought we could and abundance and how things in our life happen that, you know, prayers being answered and people we love getting saved and our children getting right with God and our marriages coming back together. This is all connected to this stuff. Amen. And it's not just dollars and cents. If you, you know, if you think this is about, if you think this message is about money, you've totally missed it. It's about sowing and reaping. Whatever a man sows, he will reap. God will not be mocked. Paul wraps this whole thing up in the last verses here, 12 through 15. I'm so glad I'm wrapping this up tonight. Um, here, this chapter, thank God we got through it. Uh, verses 12 through 15 says, for the ministry of this service is not only fully supplied the seed of the saints, so your ministry is supplying people, who, the people in Jerusalem, but it is also overflowing through many thanksgiving to God. So a good work producing good fruit. Verse 13, because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to, them and to all. While they also by prayer on your behalf yearn for you. Look at that. Now the Jerusalem church is yearning for these churches that have given to them. Why? Because they've made a spiritual connection and they feel the love. Because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So Paul closes down the chapter. He closes down the subject here. And, and he's saying these are some good things that were produced in this. He lists the good fruit. Number one, the needy were fully supplied. Isn't that awesome when God comes through and, and you had lack, but now you have everything you need? Amen. If you're not saying anything, I'm praying for lack. Harvest the lack. They didn't learn yet, God. They didn't learn to say amen when there was no lack. 
So we haven't lacked enough. And some of us haven't. We've always we never missed a meal, never missed a bill. We don't know what lack is. Some lessons we can only learn through hardship, through lack, through suffering. It's good for us to learn them if we, it's good. We don't have to learn everything the hard way. Amen. I'm praying for you. So the needy were fully equipped. Thanksgiving to God was overflowing in the body. Everybody was charged up about this. This is great. Look at this. You know, we had a need. They, the Gentiles taking care of the Jews, the body of Christ galvanized together. Beautiful thing. God's being glorified by the sacrificial nature of his people giving and, and having a heart for one another. And the saints are praying and yearning for one another. You know, we just, I just got a little message from Charles and those folks in Gambia. You know, they, they pray for us. They're praying for you. And they're so excited. You know, we just, we're able to give an offering every year to uh, their radio station there. And for just a small amount of money, we're able to power that radio station for a whole entire year. And I think at this point, millions of people are hearing the gospel. Literally millions of people in that region. You know, and it's crazy. And Charles calls up, Pastor, it's time for the radio ministry. <laughs> oh, yes, Lord. <laughs> oh, I say, okay, Charles, we're going to take care of it. And, and I mean, for a year, we can get the gospel out to millions of people. You want, do you want to know for how much? $900. Wow. Some of you spend, spend that on groceries in two weeks. It's just amazing. And what is that? That's God multiplying what we give. Amen. What an opportunity. So we close down this chapter. We close down this subject. A lot of good principles in here. I pray that uh, all of us are reminded. And, you know, maybe some of this is preaching to the choir. But some things need to be said because they need to be said. Father, we thank you tonight for this example of sacrificial giving. We thank you tonight for the apostolic order and structure that Paul shows us and all the principles that were taught in, in these lessons here. Father, we pray as we continue to unpack 2 Corinthians that you would continue to bring us to maturity and enlighten us and give us wisdom in all things so that the body of Christ would be fully immersed in the things of the Spirit, that we would be in step with the things of God that we would sow our time and our talent and our energy and our focus into kingdom things so that the harvest of blessings and souls and answered prayers and breakthroughs and healed relationships would begin to over, overflow in the body of Christ. We ask all this in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. amen.